As I mentioned at the start of our worship this morning, we have the privilege of getting this deep into Matthew's gospel in this fifth chapter. This is the chapter that is the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, blessed, 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 blessed. You might remember that we started this chapter four weeks ago. In that first week, at the start of Matthew 5, we were reminded of Jesus' instructions to his disciples, which this whole chapter is, and in that instruction he is telling them, blessed are you when you are persecuted, when things don't go right. I am with you. The second week, we continued reading into this chapter, and we hear Jesus' instruction to go and to be change agents in the world, salt and light. Last week, we reviewed what it means that Jesus is calling us to transcend the law, that we are people of the covenant, and that the law was written in response to the covenant, but it was not meant to be the bar. We were to go beyond it. And so last week, we reflected on that. And now on this week, Jesus talks to us about how to do reconciliation and restoration in the world. These are hard pieces of scripture, and invariably they've been used inappropriately at times. It says here at the beginning, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. We may hear that differently than what it was intended. The instructions in the law, this is meant to address um, vengeance and retaliation. And so if someone gouges out your eye, you are only permitted to take their eye. If someone yanks out your tooth, you are only permitted to yank out one of theirs. That was the idea behind this law, to limit this sense of going further and further and further with trying to even the score between the wrong done to you and then the response that is given and then back and forth and back and forth. Now, this is a general characteristic of humanity, right? You only need a couple of kids together to start to see what this looks like. One child takes a piece of candy, and the other person says, that was my favorite kind of candy, and you took one piece, so I should get to take two of your not-so-favorite pieces of candy to call it even, right? And don't grown-ups do the same? Have a car accident, and the insurance will cover the repairs to the car, and maybe it'll cover your whiplash, but perhaps you want to sue because you've missed work for three or four weeks. Or maybe also someone has post-traumatic stress disorder, your mother now, because you were in this car accident and it evoked something in her earlier life, and so you want compensation for that too. Pain and suffering, it's usually summarized as. This law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, is meant to stop that. That's what blood feuds are about. That's what gang violence is all about. Trying to even the score. Tribal responses. And the law is meant to limit that and to say no. We're not going to keep trying to keep balance here. This is how we're going to keep balance. But Jesus calls us into another way. And in his instruction, he says, don't play the game. Don't follow what the evildoer is doing. Change it up. Don't give them your cheek. Turn the other one. Now again, let's think about this a little bit more deeply because this particular piece of scripture has been used to justify people staying in harmful relationships for many decades, maybe even centuries. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. 
To take the illustration of domestic violence, Jesus is not advocating that somehow the perpetrator of domestic violence will eventually change if you just roll over. No, Jesus is saying, remove yourself from the relationship. Say, I'm not going to actually be in relationship with you any longer because I don't want to be in the relationship that you are saying we must have. Change it, Jesus is saying. You don't resist the evildoer by digging in your heels. You change the dynamic of the relationship. We saw this take place in our collective life as Americans in the civil rights era. This is what Martin King Jr. was advocating for. Change the story, he said. He gained strength from the work of Mahatma Gandhi, who is reportedly said to have gained strength from these teachings of Jesus. Change the structure. During the civil rights era, when the work was being done to bring equality, there was a little card that was given to people as they participated in demonstrations, helping them focus and prepare for that work. A couple of things on there. One was to meditate and to reflect on the teachings of Jesus so that you had the internal strength for what was about to come. And another piece on there was do not respond with violence. By not responding with violence, you show that you're not going to play the game of violence. And it will illuminate the wrongfulness of the violence. And don't we now know that? We have images that bring that to our attention. So when the fire hoses are unleashed, or when the dogs are set out, what do you need to do to show how wrong it is for people to be sprayed with fire hoses and dogs to be unleashed on them? Change the narrative. Another figure in the civil rights movement sought to do the same, that being Malcolm X. I don't know if you know his autobiography, But he has a point in talking about that in his autobiography where he realized that he was playing by a narrative that he could not survive. And it was in trying to straighten his hair. He was trying to get his kinky hair to lay down like white people's does. And he was putting relaxers and things on it and it would not stay down. And he was going to such extremes that he was on the verge of burning his scalp. And it occurred to him, he doesn't have that hair. So he decided he was going to embrace the hair that he has and let it be kinky. He changed the narrative. His hair doesn't need to look like a white man's hair because he doesn't have white man's hair. So what is our invitation as Christian people to change the narrative? Because anyone can change the narrative. And we claim the narrative that is ours in Christ. That is our instruction in this gospel lesson today. I want to share with you one way in which it was shifted in the book of Acts. And you know what? There's a pew in every Bible, and it might be near you from the 8 o'clocker that was sitting there earlier, but it might not be. And so you can find it if you'd like to. I'm not going to read the whole story, but I'm going to point you in the direction. It's chapter 16 of the book of Acts. This is an historical book. And here on the 25th verse of chapter 16, Paul and Silas, followers of Jesus, are in jail. They've been imprisoned for something, and while they are there, they are praising God and singing hymns. While they are in prison, an earthquake happens, and the chains become undone, and the doors of the prison become open 
This is a cave prison. There are lots of caves in that part of the world. And so the doors became open, and the guard, when he has awakened from sleep because of this earthquake and sees that the doors are open, he is certain that the prisoners have escaped. Because who wouldn't, right? If the door's unleashed, you would leave. And so it, shows, it tells us here that he gets ready to throw himself on the sword because he'd rather not live than have to deal with the repercussions of being the jailer under the Roman Empire whose prisoners got out. But Paul calls out to him and says, don't. Don't kill yourself. We're all in here. And he goes in, taking a light to see the prisoners and to learn from them. He's so struck by the change of the narrative that they're doing. What is it, this joy that they've been singing and praising God about? He wants to know more. And by their witness, he asks if he can become one of them. Indeed, they welcome him in, baptizing him. And the magistrates hear about the Roman citizens that have been wrongfully imprisoned, and they send a little memo and says, oh, that says, oh, you know what, okay, you guys can leave. And Paul says, nuh-uh. You flogged us and beat us and put us in prison in a public way. We want you to come down in a public way and open the door for us and let everyone know that we were wrongfully accused. Paul changes the narrative, and they do. As Christian people, we are asked, instructed even by Jesus, to change the narrative according to that which God has given us in Christ, to live accordingly so that God can do God's work to bring about God's kingdom. We can't do it, but we can lay the foundation in the decisions that we make and in the actions that we carry out. Jesus goes on, you've heard it say, you've heard it said, pray for your pray for those you love, but not your enemies. But I tell you, pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. We're going to change the narrative, he says, so that God can do something with this. Paul takes up this teaching in the book of Romans, in the 12th chapter, where he's talking about what does it mean to be the body of Christ? What does it mean to be the church? And he illustrates it in this way. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, Paul says, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. This is a a sentence that many people have reflected upon because it's not a phrase that we use about heaping burning coals on someone's head. But, but Paul is talking about genuine love and sincerity in love. So he's not being sarcastic here by doing something nice or kind of doing something mean. He's not saying that. He's reminding us that when we do something nice, we unleash the goodness to go forward. It is the means to the end, and the means is an end in and of itself. The goodness we do to another can be used by them to pay it forward, to share the goodness down the road. And we have to just do the goodness, even if we can't see how far down the road it's going to get paid. In that part of the world, you had to keep your home fire going. Cleaning and food depended on it. And so when someone's fire would go out, they would go to their neighbor and ask for some hot coals. Now, how are you going to carry those home? You're not going to hold the top of a bucket with hot coals. 
emanating their radiating heat. No, in that part of the world, they would carry it on their heads. They would put some type of insulation on their head and put the bucket of hot coals on there so it didn't hit their scalp, and the heat from the coals would go up. And they would go home and light their fire. And this is what Paul is saying. This is what we're supposed to do. If someone is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If their fire has gone out, give them some of yours so that they can start the fire again for themselves and pay it forward. We are called to help lay that foundation, to claim the narrative that's been given to us in the risen Lord, the one that says love. There aren't specific ways to do this, and it's not easy, but it's the call that Christ has given each of us in our lives. I want to conclude with these words from Romans chapter 12. I'm going to start at verse 9, and I am going to read it straight through. Because um, Paul gives some great uh, directives in this passage. And before I do that, because I do want these words to be echoing in your ear. Before I do that, I will tell you and remind you that it was hard then. (laughs) People were oppressed. There were people in power that weren't nice to everyone. So, you know, to hear Jesus' words and to think, oh man, maybe our situation is a little different, is to um, let ourselves off the hook in a way that I don't believe Jesus does. So hear Paul's words to the faithful people who were under Roman oppression. Paul says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen.